This is the Radically Christian Crosstalk Podcast, Episode 6. I'm your host, Wes McAdams, and on today's episode, we'll be discussing the silence of the scriptures. But before we get into the show, I want to thank our sponsor, Campaign Capitol Hill, which is a grassroots effort by Churches of Christ aimed at raising awareness in the brotherhood on the fine line between politics and religion, preaching the gospel to our nation's leaders, focusing on repentance and God's standard of morality, and reaching lost souls with the saving grace of Jesus Christ. You can find Campaign Capitol Hill on Facebook at facebook.com slash campaigncapitolhill or on their website at campaigncapitolhill.com for more information on how to join the march for God's word. This week we have a voicemail that was left for us. Let me play that for you real quick. Hey Wes, this is Austin Trust. Um reaching out to you regarding the podcast. And there was a message I wanted you guys to, or a topic I wanted you guys to go over. Um, maybe you guys can go over the subject of the silence of the scriptures. Hopefully you guys have a wonderful day and have a wonderful rest of your week. Take care and God bless. Thanks, Austin, for that great question. Here's the discussion that Sam, James, and I had on that topic. One of the first things, anytime we talk about how we interpret the Bible, because when we talk about the silence of the scriptures, a lot of it is either about interpretation or about specific concerns that I have about life and whatnot. But I think one of the first things that we have to remember and recognize is that God, who God is, what, who is God, and why is it important? When I come to the scriptures, do I look at it like I look at everything else, or do I look at it differently? Do I look at it in a specific way that that is different from everything else? And I, I think that's where we need to start. We say, what what is what is the Bible? What is the Word of God? And so when when it doesn't say something... I need to think about that differently than than any other book and how that how that doesn't talk about something. Well, it's kind of a an odd topic when you really get down and and uh, analyze it, because in, in truth, if if we're considering the Bible from the perspective of it gives us moral guidance and and uh, uh, guidance for how we live our lives so that we can be pleasing to God. In no other aspect of life would we expect something to cover every conceivable possible aspect of every conceivable thing that you might possibly think about considering to do over the course of your life. You know, we would we would understand that there would be broad moral concepts that then we are left to apply appropriately on our own. And so when we come to the scripture with the mindset of, well, if it doesn't talk about this specifically, then we need to decide whether that is permissive or not. It, it already kind of shows the wrong attitude about mm-hmm. it. Like we, we understand from the get-go, or should understand from the get-go, that no, the Scripture is not going to address every conceivable possible little detail specifically, but it is going to give us moral guidance and God's instruction that will encompass that. And God's expectation is that we are familiar enough with His Word that we can train up our instincts and respond appropriately in those situations Rather than constantly trying to analyze, well, oh, what, hey, m- maybe the Bible will let me do this. Maybe the Bible is going to let me do this other thing that I want. And, you know, we kind of reveal, I don't know, maybe the wrong attitude about our approach to scriptures. Right. Well, and, and just even the way you were figuratively saying that, you know, maybe the Bible will let me do this or the Bible will let me do that. I mean, we, but we do that. We talk like the Bible is the person that we are in submission to rather than this is God, this is a relationship we have with God, and the Bible is his word and his, his explanation about who he is, 
what his will for us is, how he saves us, when he saves us, and how he wants us to live and to worship and all of these things. And so, um, you know, sometimes we we treat it like like it's got all kinds of loopholes in, and that's what it is. I mean, I think you're right. I think you're exactly right. I think that we we go looking for loopholes, and we ask that question, will the Bible let me do this? And it's like, well, wait a second, that's the wrong question. The right question to me is always, is this pleasing to the Lord? W- would this would this please the Lord? And and you you we do have those broad general principles and guidelines by which we can we I think we can make a determination on on everything to know yes this would be pleasing to the Lord or at best we could say about an activity I don't know I don't know that that would please the Lord so why would you do something especially and usually this conversation has to do with worship. Why would you do something, especially in worship, that you are offering up to God as a sacrifice? Why would you do something that you don't have, at best, you have no idea whether it would be pleasing to Him or not? Why would you Why would you even go there? Why are you looking to do things that please you, but you have no idea if it pleases Him or not? Well, that always reminds me of, uh, or not always, that particularly reminds me of, uh, you know, other questions that I've I've uh, struggled with over, over uh, my years as a Christian— and, and the recognition I've had to come to that some answers become clearer as you gain greater spiritual maturity. And, you know, the Scripture tells us that it, it gives us everything that pertains to life and godliness. You know, there, there's, no, there's no question that we can't find an appropriate answer to in the Scripture, even though it does not address everything down to this nitty-gritty detail that we sometimes expect it to. But you really hit the nail on the head there, because a lot of times our, our desire when we go to the Scripture— is to try and look at it and say, okay, this thing that I have already predetermined that I want to do mm-hmm. or that I am curious about participating in or whatever it ends up being, I then want to take that and go to the Scriptures and see if that's okay. And that's fine. We, we all will practice that at different times in our life. But what we're striving for is that higher level of spiritual maturity in which what we are saying is, I'm going to the Scripture first, and I'm going to analyze the Scripture to find ways that I can be pleasing to God, and then I will go do those things. Mm-hmm. And we tend to get that inverted. You know, in our in our spiritual immaturity, we will often get that inverted and have things we want to do first, and then we go to the Bible to try and double-check them, rather than simply going to the Scripture and saying, what do I need to be doing? What should my life be like? What should my character be like? And then you go and you do those things. And in those instances, the silence of the Scripture almost becomes a non-factor because mm-hmm. you're focusing on everything that is there, and that tells you everything that you need to know. Right. Yeah, I mean, if, if we were being perfectly obedient with everything that Scripture told us to do already, <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and then we could start talking about, okay, well, what are the other things that we could do that Scripture doesn't, you know, necessarily give us a yes or no answer on? I mean, it's like, well, wait, why don't you just spend the rest of your life focused on the things that it does tell you to do? Go out and be benevolent. Go out and do this. Go out and do that. And but but yet we get so caught up in what we want to do, and that's that's exactly the wrong mentality to approach Christianity, to pr- approach God with. How dare we come to God with, oh yeah, well, here's my list of demands, and I want to figure out how I can make those things happen and, and find loopholes in your word to give me the, the permission that I'm seeking to do these things. We all have children, and how many of us in, in our experiences with our children have had the situation where... I have given my child instruction. This is what I want you to do. And his response is a negotiation 
of, well, how can we find a compromise between what I would like to do and perhaps sort of getting around to this thing that you kind of want to do and maybe I can drag you into doing it for me? I mean, you know how kids' minds works in that regard. And you have to look right at the child and say, no, we're not negotiating this. This is not a conversation. I, as your father, am telling you, go do so-and-so and so, whatever it ends up being. And the response is always, well, but yeah, maybe if we can, you know, and we start negotiating again. And as parents and as adults, we look at that and we're like, ah, you know, those kids and everything. And we don't often think about the fact, and that's exactly how I'm behaving to my heavenly father. And it's, it's not nearly so much of a laughing matter because I'm an adult and I should know better. Right. You know, when I was thinking about this subject, that very thing popped in my head about an example from my childhood that in fact, I mean, I was like five, six, maybe seven when this happened. And it didn't really occur to me until sometime when I was like 25 or 26, <laughs> how stupid I was as a child and how, how I didn't conceive and understand my father's role as my father. My parents had told me that we uh, had some friends who had just moved off and they left a go-kart at our house. And I like to go sit out in that go-kart and act like I'm driving it. And one day the sun was too hot in it. My parents were had gone somewhere and they told us not to move it and uh, not to, not to drive it really. And then, uh, and so I, that is what I understood. They told me not to drive it. That in other words, that I couldn't turn it on. I couldn't, couldn't make it go. Well, we ended up moving it physically <laughs> by pushing it. And I got in trouble and grounded for like a week or so. And I thought for, for so many years, for like 20 years, I thought, that was just unjust of my parents. When in, I mean, and that's maybe that's a silly example, but that's that's very much what we're talking about. Is that just because I'm sitting here and I've been given something to do, and I wasn't specifically told don't even physically push the car to get it out of the shade, that that I am just in saying, well, you can't hold me to that. No, I'm the if if God is the owner of our lives and our bodies and created the entire world, how can I say to him? I mean, we've, we read that in, in, uh, in Isaiah, talking about today. I mean, how, how, can, the, how can the pot say to the, the, the potter, well, what, it, what are you doing to me? Like, why, why are you expecting me to be in this shape? Just mm-hmm. because you want me to have an arm? Just because you want me to do this? I don't want to hold water. I don't want to be a coffee cup. Man, that's hot. Come on. I mean, it's ridiculous to because that's exactly the attitude that we're having. Again, we're not recognizing who God is and our relationship to Him and how we should interact with God and especially His Word. That we should respect it so much that, again, we want to know what it says so that we can apply it to ourselves, not so that we can know ourselves and apply ourselves to the Scripture. Mm-hmm. It's, that's the reverse thinking. You know, I, I think that's a great example, though, about the, the go-kart and whatnot, because if we really want to be honest with ourselves, and we should want to be honest with ourselves, as unpleasant as it usually is, all of our wants and our desires that end up butting up against our spirituality are just as silly and childish as the kind of nonsense we want to do as kids. In the face of God's glory, all of these things that we want to do that conflict with our spirituality are just a bunch of silly nonsense. And if we could ever get our heads wrapped around that so that we wouldn't feel that 
spirituality is depriving us of something rather than granting us the glory of God mm-hmm. <laughs> undeservedly, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm still very childish. Well, yeah, and, and, and let's talk about the, the opposite of the childish thing, you know, and, and think about some maturity examples. I was thinking as we were talking about this, this really all, all boils down to authority, you know, what do I have the authority to do? What do I not have the authority to do? What is the church? You know, and specifically, this usually comes up as in regards to worship. You know, what do we have the authority to do in worship? If we realize that authority means permission, you know, if you think about like a police officer, a police officer has the authority to arrest somebody that is committing a crime. He, he's been granted that permission by the people above him. You know, the the centurion that came to Jesus, you know, he talked about being a man a man not only of authority, but under authority. Everyone is under authority, and even a man of authority has been granted permission by someone else to do certain things, but all of our authority ends at some point. We are not sovereign, and so at some point our authority runs out. So what do we have the authority to do? Well, that which we have the authority to do. You've been granted the permission to do what you've been granted permission to do, to assume I have the authority to do things that you've never been given the authority to do. Well, that's presumptuous, and that's going beyond. I, I mean, a police officer can't say, well, I'm a police officer, so I can I can pretty much do whatever I want to, unless there's a certain rule that says somewhere I can't do it. Well, no, that's not the case. The case is you can only do that which you've been given the express authority to do. Well, and, you know, laws and restrictions are, are usually written in, in the positive sense of in, this is what the purpose is or this is what <laughs> the goal is. This is the activity you are authorized to carry out rather than in the negative sense, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, because we understand, we naturally understand that when something is prescriptive like that, that it is exclusionary. We mm-hmm. understand that in so many aspects of life. But just like we do in so many other uh, questions of spiritual matters that we have, when it comes to God's Word or our spirituality or our faithfulness, we somehow treat it as an exception. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I know that every day in my life I, I recognize this understanding and I behave appropriately, but when it comes to God, I'm going to see that, well, this is different. This right. is a spiritual matter, so I can't apply that same logic instead of recognizing, no, it works the exact same way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we can we can get a whole lot more detailed about uh, the silence of the Scripture in, uh, like James commented, in the interpretive sense of saying, okay, how does this guide us as we interpret our Scripture and apply it to our lives? And we just have to understand and be careful that it's always really easy to when we set up these guidelines of our interpretation to do so in a way that is entirely biased toward our wants and desires and then against someone else's. It's it's so much easier for me to recognize in the scripture the authority for the thing that I want, mm. but it's restrictive against you, Wes. Right. And so then I can sit back and I can be more spiritual than you because I'm not struggling with that thing that you're struggling with because the cl- scripture clearly says mm-hmm. you shouldn't be doing that. Mm-hmm. But you can't turn that around to me because, you know, I have established these guidelines that are biased in my favor. You know, and and that's a that's a spiritual immaturity that I think exists very heavily among people who would proclaim themselves to be leaders in the church or mm-hmm. ministers because so many of us get 
caught up in our own sins and our own struggles that we're not confessing to other people and that we're not addressing openly because we have somehow twisted our guidelines of interpretation to be self-biased that Mm -hmm. way. I remember reading a few years ago as a congregation, groups of us anyway, went through the Bible in 90 days. I remember reading through the law and how um, at the time uh, it seemed ridiculous that anyone could come up with loopholes. I mean, because in fact, God gave so much detail as to how to obey his laws. Like Sam was saying, usually when a law is given, we give the law and say, okay, now you abide by it. And it's not it's not so so much as like this little bitty, but God goes into great detail as to how to, to be clean when it comes to blood and like what happens if a man is in a room with a dead person when they die and what you do about it and how you have to do this and that and whatever. And it's amazing that when we take what God has given us and he does give us a great amount of detail and then we still take it and we say, well... Well, but, but but that's so inconvenient. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if I really, I mean, do I really want to do it exactly that way? Because maybe, I mean, of course, when you look at maybe uh, the Pharisees and the people of the time of Jesus, they're also looking at the the, uh, the rabbis and whatnot, like, whatnot. But but we do that. I mean, we do that very same thing. If, if you take the scripture in one spot and say, I see this word, I mean, I see this this teaching right here, and I see this over here, and if I don't, take the context of everything and apply them together, then I end up going all sorts of different ways and saying, well, the Bible doesn't necessarily say something about this. But again, and really, the Bible tells us about everything. For I mean, come up with any, any. I mean, you basically said it earlier. Um, if you, there's any subject, you want to talk about it in, in the context of what the Bible teaches, you can find it. It'll tell you how you should think about this. It may not specifically say, okay, let, let's... Let's take the word pornography. Okay. Does the Bible ever say pornography? No. But does it talk about lust? Absolutely. So anything that applies to how you deal with lust applies to that. Uh, it, it, things outside of, uh, outside of worship, that you know, there, there's lots of things that we can think, well, the Bible doesn't say I don't have to do this, or I, don't, I can't do that, or I can't do this. But there is everything fits into something that God has said, and you can apply it to yourself and, and match yourself with the Word of God, that we can use that reflective mirror of Scripture that says, okay, I'm wrong here. Okay, how do I, how do I, how do I clean that up? How do, I, how do I take care of that? And isn't that the beauty of the New Testament, the new law, which is this, it, it is a law of liberty, and, and we have so much freedom, and, and there are these broad, these broad principles to understand, and, and but it's really a law for the mature, and like Sam was saying earlier, it it's not for the it's not for the carnal. You you can't be a Christian and be carnally fleshly minded. But that's unfortunately where these types of discussions often lead is into the minutia of the details, and it's like okay you're not mature, you're not handling this as a mature Christian, because a mature disciple of Jesus says, what can I do that pleases the Lord? If you want to know how much you can get away with, well, then you're not a disciple of Jesus, and the, the new law isn't for you. You you can't handle being a disciple because you just want to get away with everything you can get away with. I mean, when people ask me, well, Wes, you know, are you really saying I'm going to go to hell if I have a beer? 
Or do, do I really have to come to Wednesday night Bible study? Uh, Wes, you know, c- c- couldn't we do this? I mean, really? And it's like, wait, you're, you're asking all the wrong questions. The question you ought to be asking is, is this glorifying to God? Is it glorifying to God for you to go to a bar? Why in the world would that be glorifying to God? And you're not going to a bar because you think it's okay. You're going to a bar because you want to, and you're trying to find scriptural loopholes to, to let you go do what you want to do. And that's not maturity, and that's not discipleship. How many of us actually want spiritual maturity, though? Right. Um, because that's that's when you you look at the scripture, and all of a sudden, the gravity of so much of what it says really hits home. You know, as you gain spiritual maturity, I mean, all of us have probably known Christians who have fallen away in the face of their own maturity, where it suddenly becomes real to them, and they recognize some of these things. But you know, I I I love. James referencing the Old Testament, then you talking about the beauty of of the New Covenant and it being uh, based on liberty and our freedom in Christ. You know, there are so many people who today would, you know, argue that the New Covenant is somehow flawed because it is so open-ended and not detailed and specific and this and that. And, you know, there's always the person that says, well, if only God had said this, if only God had addressed the specific thing that I'm hung up on, or if only God would just speak to me the way he spoke to other people and whatnot. And and if nothing else, the Old Testament is a complete refutation of that concept, because God has already demonstrated through multiple years and thousands of thousands of people that no, that wouldn't make a difference either. Because mm-hmm. people who spoke directly to God still had struggles and fell away and still refused to be obedient. Mm-hmm. The people who had seen the majesty of God, people who had the law written into intricate detail, would still try and find the loophole in it. And what they wanted was a more open and free law so that they could have more loopholes. And then when they're given that, well, now we want it to be more detailed because, you know, how are you going to expect a guy? And in, and in the end, it's that all of these people were spiritually immature, and their primary motivation was not to please God. Mm-hmm. Because if your primary motivation is to please God, then you are comfortable with saying, you know what? I don't understand what God wants in relation to this activity, so I'm just not going to do it. Right. Because I recognize that whether I do it or not, you know what? If I go through the rest of my life and I go to heaven and, you know— all of us have these questions we think we're going to remember to ask once we get there. <laughs> you know, we're not going to just be so caught up in the fact that we're there, you know, but, you know, we actually remember that. Like, well, you know, could I have done this? And if you're told yes, what exactly are you going to do? Are you going to feel bad? Right. And you're like, oh, man, I wish I could go back and relive those years <laughs> in the flesh. No. Right. No, but if you're if you're mature enough to understand that, then you can be mature enough to say, you know what, maybe it's okay, maybe it's not. I'm comfortable just saying it's not, right. because I don't know. Because right. in the face of uncertainty, I'm not going to take any chance of risking my relationship with God, because that's what's the most important thing to me. But that's what I struggle with. What I struggle with is, but man, that looks fun. I don't want to have to give that up. That's something that I want to do. There's got to be a way that I can justify myself mm-hmm. in here. Instead of sitting back and, and looking at that reflection of the scripture and seeing the true me that says, why don't you want to please me? Why am I not your motivating factor? Why am I not enough? You know, as the scripture says, I am your portion. Mm-hmm. Why is this not enough for you? Mm-hmm. 
And I don't, and, I don't have an answer for that. And that's where it comes down to, and, and that's why we all, we all, whether we admit it or not, or whether we recognize it as this or not, we all struggle with idolatry. And I mean, it comes down to idolatry. It's, uh, is your flesh and the things of this world your God, your pursuit, or is the Lord of hosts your pursuit? It, wh- what are you pursuing? What are you trying to please? And we so often try to please the flesh. And and if we were trying to please this God, and again, walking through the Old Testament, you can't help but be overwhelmed by how awesome and how terrible and how fearful we should be in his presence. When you look at who God is and you're overwhelmed by him, you the, the word I always come back to is circumspectly. We, we've got to walk, and that's like what you were saying, Sam, we've got to walk circumspectly. If we don't know should I go here? Is it safe to do this? Is this a good decision? Would this please God? Then don't do it. Why would you not? Why would you do that? And Romans 14 says, whatever is not a faith is sin. If you go ahead doing it, say, I don't really care if this pleases God, or I don't know if this pleases God or not, but I'm going to do it anyway. Well, then it is sin because you, you don't have the right motivation. You don't have the right heart. Yeah. Or, or to even say, you know, I'm doing this to please God, whether it pleases him or not. Yeah. And so my expectation is, well, he needs to accept it. Right, absolutely. Because, you know, how dare he not take this thing that I offered in good faith. Right. Which, you know, it's not like we don't have any scriptural references as to why that's a bad idea. Right. Anything, right? I love, I mean, again, we've been reading Isaiah and studying Isaiah, and the the imagery that God gives, I, I can't remember off the top of my head which chapter, but he starts talking about idols and how they... You know, you, you an artisan makes a takes wood and he builds an idol, and then another one takes uh, metal and builds another type of idol, and the, and the one that takes wood and makes an idol, he goes and he creates he creates this thing with over over here, and then he over here uses the other half of the piece of wood and he cooks his bread, and then he worships the god that he just built, and he's cooking it. I mean, and I mean again this. And isn't it ridiculous? I mean, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, we're we're creating things. We're we're trying to serve ourselves. We're trying. We're doing the opposite of what Paul says when he delivered the word of God to people. He said we didn't come up with some god of our own. We didn't invent him. We didn't come up. We're not coming up with excuses for doing what we want. We're going to God and we see this is what He says. That's what we do. We don't come up with something to invent God that serves our purpose and serves our desires, but instead we go to God and say, what would you have me do? And that's what I will do. I am grateful that you give me the opportunity to serve you, that you give me the opportunity to be your servant. God goes on in that same in that same chapter, He's in Isaiah, he goes on to say, in the reverse of what you do, I am made you in my image mm-hmm. and you are my servant. Mm-hmm. You are to do my will. And that's the attitude that we should have. We should have an attitude to say, you know what? I am your servant and I'm thankful to be able to be your servant. And so I want to do whatever it is that I have to do to please you. And we've got a great instruction manual. It's there. We've got it in such a, a convenient form that no one in the history of mankind before us has really had. I mean, we can put it in our pockets. We can we can take it everywhere we go, except for some of us who have to leave our phones away from us at work, but we have access to it <laughs> everywhere. Why is it that we want to come up with something else to do rather than to serve and follow the God who tells us what to do in the Bible? Yeah, we never, I mean, in, I can't think of any any passage of Scripture any where that concept of 
that we, we hear so often with people today. People today are asking, what do you want to do for God? What do you want to do for God? What, what, is it, what talent do you have that you can show off to God? What do you want to bring to God? And it, never, we don't see that in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We never see faithful people being told, do whatever you want to to bring your, this, this gift of whatever you want to God. Never. In a, because it's always, you said, servant. It's always about service. It's always about obedience. It's about bringing to him that which pleases him. And that's not up to us. It's up to him. Isaiah 66. Right. What home would you build for me? Amen. You know, there, there is no talent that I can throw before God and say, see how much I love you because mm-hmm. of this special ability? You know, I'm sorry. I'm never going to be impressive to God, but I can be pleasing to God. Right. And how much, how much better is that? You know, but... We refuse to see ourselves as the immature children that we really are when we struggle with these things. And I say we, I'm not talking to people who are listening to us or, mm-hmm. or anybody else who's outside of this room. When I struggle with these things, when I go to the scripture trying to justify something that I want to do, when I try and establish a guideline of interpretation that is somehow freeing to me and yet binding to my brother... Mm-hmm. These are the times when I need to recognize that childish behavior in myself, that silliness that refuses to acknowledge God for who he is, and then who I am as his creation. Right. And you, and you mentioned Isaiah 66, and we'll close with this, but um, you know, he says, who's the one I'm going to look to? It, it's the one who's humble, the one who's contrite in spirit, and the one who trembles at my word. And that, that's what it's all about, humility and repentance and obedience. And it mm-hmm. always, always has come back to that. Guys, I appreciate y'all. Thanks for your thoughts. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. We hope this discussion inspires you to have these kinds of spiritual discussions with people in your life. If you have a question or a topic you'd like for us to discuss, please call and leave us a short voicemail at 707-238-2216. That's 707 238 2216. Remember, we love you, God loves you, and we hope you have a wonderful day. Um.